Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. This, as always, is Teddy coming at you from my bear cave in the mildly frozen jungles of the uh, Midwest um, of the Cedar Valley, if you know where that is. Um, Okay, let's see, where are we here? Um, Yeah, last episode I talked about some... uh, some tough, bo- the good good bosses in uh, from soft games, um, and yeah, today I'm just going to kind of go through. Uh, you know, really didn't have much to think. Of, you know, th- couldn't think of very many great topics. I have some other ones on, off the top of my head, but I really need to work on them. So I decided to talk about some movies that I've liked this year. Now, a little side note on this: not all these movies came out this year. They're just movies I saw this year. Um, in fact, I want to say there's maybe only one movie that actually came out this year that's on this list. These are just, but like I said, these are just movies that I really like. They stood out to me that I've seen this year. I figure we're in December. Might as well do this. Maybe I'll do one for like television, TV shows I've watched, or, you know, maybe I'll do video games. That one I'll probably have to get some help on, but... Anyway, so, yeah, I'm just going to do the best movies I saw in 2022. Like I said, not of 2022. Um, First one I'm going to go with is I actually just watched this the other night. I bought it because I remember watching trailers for it before I moved. I was supposed to go see it with my boss. And then everything with the move happened so quickly that I just kind of uh, never got around to going to see it. So I bought it when it came out on Blu-ray. Because it looked like it was going to be right up my alley. And boy, was I right. And that's Bullet Train. And this is the only movie that came out in 2022. Um, How did you describe Bullet Train? Um, Rough story. Brad Pitt is a a snatch and grab guy. He has Sandra Bullock on the other end of a phone that's basically like his handler. He's filling in for... This other agent that they keep making jokes about is kind of flaky because, you know, he called out sick to this job. Um, And he has a simple job of getting on this bullet train in Japan and just has to get a briefcase and get off at the next stop. He has a description of this briefcase. But as he gets on this train, he quickly realizes that something's, you know... Something else is going on. Like, as he's walking past people, he can tell that they're probably on the job, too. Um, So, needless to say, an easy... What was supposed to be an easy job quickly turns ugly. And I think what works for this is it's a great action comedy. In fact, it reminded me a lot of another movie I liked back in the day called Smoke and Aces, where you have, like, a bunch of hitmen that are all after the same target. Because, basically, that's what this is, is you've got... On a bullet train, you know, on this train, so really tight quarters, he's trying to get this briefcase, but there's also, like, a bunch of other people on this train that also want this briefcase. You don't know really what's in it. Um, You really don't know the purpose of it, really. Um, All you know is he has to snatch it and get it off. But it has a great cast around it. I mean, like I said, Brad Pitt, Sandra Bullock. um, Oh, God. Is it Aaron Taylor Johnson, I think is his name, the guy that played Kick-Ass and Quicksilver in the Marvel Universe. Um, There's another guy from the Marvel Universe. I don't know the actor's name, but he played the, the technology guy in the Eternals. 
and him and Aaron Taylor Johnson are like the twins for some reason. Um, Lemon and Tangerine, I believe is what they are or something like that. But then you just keep on adding all these extra characters and it's basically like everybody wants this briefcase. Nobody really knows why. Brad Pitt is like, this is his first job back after they almost make a, a make it sound like he had a mental health <laughs> mental health leave from his job. Um, and he's always talking about how unlucky he is. But man, it is just a fun movie. I mean, the action sequence, when the action does kick in, it's got some really good sequences. There's a really cool scene where Brad Pitt is fighting a guy with a knife and all he here he has is the briefcase. So he's you know using the briefcase in different ways to protect himself as well as as a weapon at points. And man, it just, to me, it hits on all the, all the song, things I wanted. You have good action, you have a great comedy, and the cast all puts in what they need to. I mean, none of them really outshine each other. I mean, Brad Pitt is the main character, but he really, in many ways, doesn't outshine some of the other ones because of like the, the way that they have to fit in at points. Like when he has to be played back, he plays it back to allow the other character to have their moment, so to speak. And I think it's just, like I said, it, it just really reminded me of Smoke and Aces, which was another movie, like I said, just really fun. You could turn your brain off for, for an hour and a half while watching it and just have fun with it. Um, so yeah, Bullet Train 2022. I, I, it's a high suggestion to me because like I said, I, I love a good movie that's just action and fun. Um, okay, my next one I want to say is from 2021. I didn't do my research on some of these. Um, but that is Malevolent. And I know a lot of people hate that this has been a very polarizing movie. Um, director of the... Uh, Conjuring movies, going back to doing something way different. You know, he got, he kind of like I think he, if I remember I, I heard in the interview that he really was you know he wanted to get away from doing the haunted house movies for a little bit. So he does this movie, and I won't spoil anything in this one, but it's a you know you've got a girl who has a like a how do you describe this movie? Well, she's. She's pretty normal other than she's has some, you know, like she definitely has some mental issues, but they don't really get too deep into it right off the bat. You know, in the beginning of the movie, she's in an abusive relationship and she locks herself in the bathroom after he acts up by, or, you know, after he slaps her one time and the next morning she, she has a dream about like him dying. And then the next morning he's dead and it keeps going where she kind of sees from the killer's perspective these people dying. And then it kind of gets revealed that she, when she was younger, she had an imaginary friend um, named Gabriel, I believe it was. And it's strongly believed that Gabriel is the murderer. And it just, but like, by the end of this movie, it goes batshit insane. And yeah, I could see how people would be bothered by it because it does, it doesn't really do anything new, but it does have a lot of things like, you know, um, I think the thing that makes it stand out to the best to me was, uh, 
the way they do the whole visions into the the killer's mind. You know, she'll be sit like there was one time like you know she's digging in a um a dryer. And as she comes out of the dryer, there's some weird person, there's like some person's face that she doesn't know in the dryer window. And she jumps back. And as she falls back, like the camera rotates around her. And it does this several times throughout the movie. But as it rotates around her, the the room around her changes to where she's in a room she doesn't recognize. And she's watching this, you know, killer all in black just slaughter this lady. And... It just, it did some, in, like I said, I really liked the, the dissolve, I guess is what I guess you could call it, like the dissolves, because it really did make this interesting situation. But then, like I said, at the end of the movie, there's a scene in a police station that made it all worth it, all worth watching the movie. Once again, I bought this one, um, I because I think it had already been pulled off of HBO Max by the time I got around to trying to watch it, but it did some, it did some really cool stuff. And I liked it for the batshit insane. I mean, I wasn't expect. I didn't go into it expecting, you know, Oscar material. It's a horror movie. It's a slasher movie at heart with a little bit of psychological stuff thrown in here and there. But the scene in the 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 police station is just beautifully shot, really well done choreography wise, and it's just batshit insane. So, yeah, that is malevolent. Once again, I suggest it, but go into it knowing it's it's nothing that's going to, like, you know, change anything. And, you know, it, it's not doing anything new in cinema. Um, so, yeah. Uh, okay, I was wrong. I actually have two from 2022 because my next one is another kind of polarizing movie. And even I put it on this knowing that I don't like, like, the last half hour of the movie um and that is the batman the new robert pattinson playing batman which when they first announced it yeah i'll admit i was like oh my god why but then i remember seeing him in stuff other than twilight where he really shows he's a good actor and him playing the part i think he really does good job at the young batman yes he is really broody but that's batman Batman is like overly broody. I mean, look at look at comics, TV shows, other than the Adam West. You know, he's not a happy person. So him playing a little emo doesn't really didn't really bother me too much. Um, but then I like some of the stuff they threw in there, like, you know, one of the first times he he comes out, you know, as Batman, the whole thing of you hear the footsteps. And I remember my boss, uh, my previous boss really didn't like that. He's like, they overplayed that. And I'm like, I don't know. I like it because he really isn't established as Batman quite yet. So he's like, not like overly known. Batman's not like overly known character or uh, vigilante at this point in time. So it's like, it was a great way of saying, you know, like, no, something menacing is coming. So yeah, he slowly walks into this thing, like out of the shadows with these big old boots on, which is what makes the noise, you know, makes it really work. And then proceeds to completely kick the shit out of this gang. And it's, it, but like I said, I think the whole movie was good. I actually personally think Paul Dano does a better Riddler than, and here we go, here's the polarizing comment, than Heath Ledger's Joker. But then again, I've always been a big, 
defender of the fact that Heath Ledger as Joker was good. He was he it was a great part, but he doesn't die. That role doesn't get blown up. I don't think he gets recognized as the true star of The Dark Knight as much as to me. It was always uh, Aaron Eckert as uh, Harvey Dent slash Two Face. His arc was so much better, and I really wish they would have kept him alive to do more with him in The Dark Knight. With Paul Dano, like I said, you've got this really subtle, nuanced, like really menacing version of the Riddler, and there's something about the way he plays him is really, really good. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Paul Dano's a good actor, so I guess I shouldn't be shocked to say that he did something really good. Um, even though I didn't really care for There Will Be Blood because it was really slow and hard for me to watch, I need to go back and try to watch it when I have patience one day. Um, I remember him being good in it, um, and having to, you know, having to stand across from uh, Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, you have to stand up, or you're, you know, you have to be something, or you're not going to be able to be in a scene with him. Um, but anyways, you know, Paul Dano, um, I really liked, uh, Colin Farrell as the penguin, even though he's completely unrecognizable. Like if, if it never says his name in the credits and I was never told that by like IMDb, I would not believe that's Colin Farrell under all that makeup. He looks completely different. And I think he really does kind of play a great character that, can go forward if they decide to do more. Who knows with what DC's doing lately, if there will be any more from this particular Batman franchise. And, you know, like Jeffrey Wright as uh, Commissioner Gordon did a good job. Uh, Zoe Kravitz as, as Catwoman. Selena Kyle was okay. I think that her and Robert Pattinson really didn't have the chemistry that I'd really like to see between... Catwoman and Batman, but I didn't think she was horrible. I mean, she, you know, she did a good, she did a decent job. She just wasn't the standout. But like I said, to me, the problem with the Batman is like the last like half hour or so, like after a certain point, you know, after they capture the, the Riddler, there's a great scene between Batman and the Riddler you know, through uh, the the glass in the police station. But then after that moment, I think it, it if they would have cut it there, it would have been fine. But like having this like extra half hour after that, where it, it goes into like more of something, just didn't really do it for me. Um, I was really glad they didn't show the face of the Joker because what little you could see in the shadows of the Joker talking to the Riddler, the makeup looked horrible. Um, that said, I think the actor, I don't remember the actor's name, but him, the guy they got play, to play him, I think could do a decent Joker. So I'm not really against it. I just hope they really go careful, even though to some extent, I'd be just fine if they don't do the Joker for a while. He's a great villain, but I really think like we need we need a little Joker break. Um, I'd like to see like you know like they did the Riddler in this one. I'd like to see them do some more obscure villains that you could do something with. Like I'd love to see a good interpretation of Mister Freeze. I mean, you have what they did in the animated series, which shows Mister Freeze can be a seriously awesome character. And the Arkham games, he was amazing. But 
That's just me. I mean, and then you have the Penguin. You could always go forward with Colin Farrell as the Penguin as like the next villain. And just maybe, you know, if you plan on doing a longer thing, set the groundwork and maybe do the bring the Joker in eventually. But like I said, I'm okay if they don't do the Joker for a while. Okay. Um, now I've did my rant on that. Um, so next I'm going to go with uh, another movie that I really liked was Last Night in Soho, which... I admittedly only got into because I only wanted to see it because Edgar Wright and I loved the first two of the Cornetto trilogy. I'm okay on World's End. I mean, Hoffa's and Shaun of the Dead are awesome movies. I always go back and forth on which one of those I like the most. Like Shaun of the Dead is great for the social commentary and whatnot. But I think Hot Fuzz is more the one that speaks to me more often than not. But both of them are great. World's End was okay i think he kind of lost his way a little bit with it so i don't really like i need to go back and watch it i have it because i bought a three pack i need to go back and watch world's world's end and see if maybe i i feel different about it now but um anyways last night in soho was him doing a way more serious kind of horror i mean like i know it got booked as a horror movie i really feel it's more of a thriller but it's about this girl from a very small town in in Britain and she moves to London to become like a, a oh Jesus uh eh, design dresses like I can't, I can't think of the word for it now off the top of my head um but she gets the you know gets the the scholarship to the school for people um like for like I think it also has like modeling and whatnot but um but yeah, she she gets in there and she but she's always been really fascinated with the '60s and like especially the music because like a whole lot of the movie is like her putting on headphones and playing these old records from the '60s. I think it was her grandma gave her. And you also don't really get the full story of what happened with her mom, but you know her mom is passed and something happened with her mom. Like there was a mental illness involved, and this girl obviously. Believe, starts to believe at points that she has it, but um, but anyway, she moves to like moves to London to do this schooling. Um, I guess just designer is I guess the the word for it. Um, but anyway, she she quickly realizes she doesn't like the people she's living with at the dorms because like the like all the people she meets come off really nice at first, but then it's pretty close, pretty clear that they're really shallow people very despicable people except for like this one guy so she finds a um like a room to to rent from this old lady um and the first night there she like puts on her headphones to go to or she puts on a record to go to sleep and suddenly she's transported to the 60s and she's seeing things through the eyes of this girl that really wanted to be like in the 60s who really wanted to be a a singer and you have uh oh jesus i just blanked her name uh whatever i can't think of her name but the, the actress that plays the girl in the like so anytime the, the you know the main character sees a reflection in a mirror in these are they dreams are they visions of the past that's kind of the the crux of the movie but 
Anna Taylor Joy, that's her name. She sees Anna Taylor Joy as her reflection. And Anna Taylor Joy really wants to be a singer. And it, it kind of mirrors her, you know, the, the main character is she really wants to be this designer, but she doesn't really know if she fits in. But then, like, the more visions or dreams this girl has, the more she sees of this, you know, Anna Taylor Joy's character kind of like figuring out that all these, you know, blessings that she thinks she's found maybe aren't so great. And it, it gets, it gets twisted at points to the point like, you know, her, like there's points where, like I said, the main character you start to question is what she's seeing real or is she just, you know, like I said, they lay the groundwork of her mother being mentally ill so is she just seeing this stuff and it's, you know, she's kind of cracking up, so to speak. Um, cause she like, she starts to see like, it starts bleeding out of her sleeping world, so to speak into reality of like her seeing these, these random guys that have like their mouth sewn shut and are all, or look like they have their mouth sewn shut at least, you know, like haunting her, to the point like she almost stabs her former roommate in the dorbs at one point in time with a with a pair of scissors because she thinks she she's being stalked by this weird guy when really it's not. But then you have like Terrence Stamp is in there as a supporting role, and he's just this great side character, very menacing. Um but then you know you get into like I said, Anna Taylor Joy. I think puts in. I, I don't know the the main actress's name off the top of my head. She puts in a really good performance, and it, I love Anna Taylor Joy's like part of the movie. You know, as her slow descent into is being a singer worth it. Um, Matt Smith, I believe, is the name of the actor that plays Anna Taylor Joy's boyfriend in the past, and he's. Like, he has some subtle nuances to his character that are definitely worth it. And then later on, not so subtle nuances. You know, it, it's just, it was a really good thriller movie. Like, I, maybe I just watched it at the right time. But it was, like I said, I think it was really well done. It, it does definitely question the, leave some questions into what was, you know, the corruption of music industry back in those days, especially from a female perspective, I guess. Um, so yeah, once again, I suggest it, but go into it knowing it's, it's a bit slow at points and it may not be for you. Um, okay. I think this is probably the second oldest movie I have on here. And that is the foreigner with Jackie Chan and, uh, Pierce Brosnan are the two biggest actors in that one. This one, I remember seeing trailers for and thinking, Oh God, it's just a boring revenge flick or something like that. But like, I never could find like it, you know, video when it came out, video stores were already gone. And, uh, you know, I just never showed up on any streaming services I own. But I remember one day my boss was telling me how good this movie was. And I'm like, oh, I'll give it a look at one of these points in time. And then I found it on sale on Amazon. And I'm like, okay, it's meant to be. So I bought it. And I watched this one before I moved. And man, this movie is so much better than just your typical, like, I want revenge for something movie. Um, 
you know, quick storyline is Jackie Chan's like this overprotective husband or a overprotective father kind of like, you know, he, something happened to his wife. I don't, I can't remember if they ever explain it because it kind of becomes such a small thing, but you know, he has this daughter and he's really protective of her because, you know, she's all, she's all he has left. You know, he runs this, uh, he runs like a restaurant and I want to say it is, it's England. Um, and his daughter is going to go to this dance. So she's going to meet a bunch of her friends at this, like, you know, uh, a place to rent, like to get her prom dress or whatever. And he drops her off. And of course he's, you know, he is being that, you know, he's protective of her. He, he sits outside the, the, the store for a few minutes and just before he's going to drive away, he he sees somebody come out that just doesn't look right, and he so he goes in, he he starts walking back towards the the store because there's just something something not standing right with him, and the store explodes. His daughter dies, and what follows is like you know at first it's just like hey he's he's asking the police like is there any idea on what caused this like who. Because, I mean, it was clear it was a bombing. It wasn't, you know, like a a gas pipe, a gas main went wrong or something. And he then starts kind of undoing the rabbit hole to find out that, like, this this hit was, was like, very closely tied to the, not NRA, uh, oh, God, what's the, IRA? Is that what, no. I think it's the IRA. Well, anyways, the 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 Irish like you know resistances that were going on for a long time, and like even though they've got this, but they've had this uh like truce with you know with with everybody, so they're like they're not doing anything. And Pierce Brosnan is like basically the head of you know kind of like he he kind of is a former. IRA member, but he's like now he's on the side of the peace. Like he's trying to keep the peace, like trying to stop the 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 violent interactions between you know everyone. And I don't remember how, but Jackie Chan like gets starts getting in contact with him and basically eventually gets a, a face-to-face with Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan was like, oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry this happened, but I can guarantee you it was nothing to do with the IRA, blah, blah, blah. But he still won't give any information to Jackie Chan that Jackie Chan knows he has. Like, he, he kind of insinuates he has the knowledge of what really happened that day, but he won't give it to him. And suddenly Jackie Chan just becomes badass and decides, no, well then fine. Then I'm going to, I'm going to make you, I'm going to punish you until you tell me what really happened. And what follows is basically finding out Jackie Chan was like this. He was a, you know, he was part of a secret service of some kind, you know, like very elite agent but his family, he when he found his family, he calmed down and he started this restaurant. Well, now he starts using those tact those uh, abilities to punish Pierce Brosnan. And man, is it ever! There are a couple points that were hard to watch. It is really good. It is really intense. 
There are predictable moments to it, yes, but man, is it a good one. And it's it's also nice to see Jackie Chan do something that wasn't like, you know, I love the Jackie Chan, like Rush Hour, um, Shanghai, Rumble in the Bronx, like his more comedic style. Well, this is Jackie Chan very much being just very using his his abilities in a very, very serious way. Um and man, it was it was breathtaking to see him like actually put on a performance. Like he he put on a performance that I would definitely think was was worthy of something, you know, maybe not an Oscar, but of some kind of an award because he him playing this this just like broken person after the death of his daughter really sells well. You know, and there's a couple moments where he has to kind of lose his Lose is cool, and when he does, it really, really sells well. Like his, the emotions he portrays are amazing. Um, once again, won't get into spoilers on exactly what happens with the end of that one, but that is the foreigner. I want to say it was like 2010 ish. I don't know. You'd think I'd look this shit up and write it down, but I don't. Um, makes more fun when I can try to remember these things, doesn't it? Um, Okay, now this one, I'm not sure if it was... I want to say it was a 2021 movie, but it might have been early 2022, I guess. But um, And this was another movie that I saw trailers for, and I'm like, I really don't know what to think of this, but I want to see it just from the batshit insane style of it, and that is Nobody with uh, Bob... I'm probably going to massacre his name. Od- Odenkirk, I think is how you pronounce it. Um... Man, this movie isn't, you know, like, uh, Bob Odenkirk just plays like your, your run of the mill guy living in a, you know, living the boring life. I can't remember what his job is, but it, it's a, a fairly boring job. You know, like he, he married this, you know, married the daughter of the owner of this company. So he works, you know, works at the, the top management position or whatever, but you can tell he's really not happy with it. Um, his brother-in-law, I think works there too, but he's got like two kids and one night his house gets robbed and he decides not to kill them, but he, I mean, he does beat them up pretty good, but he doesn't kill them. And the next day his like daughter is looking for, like this, you know, like, so he, he, he basically lets them take like the money that was in this tray. Cause they had some money and just leave. And I can't remember the name of the actress that plays his wife, but his, his wife was in, uh, the, the actress that played his wife was in a uh, gladiator is the somewhat love interest. The woman that was pining for Maximus. Um, and she, you can tell she's kind of like fed up with this boring husband and boring life as well. But he, so like he doesn't kill the people, he lets them get away. But the next day, like his daughter is like looking for this kitty cat bracelet that she really loved. And he's like, Well, where was it last time? She said, Oh, well, it was in this tray. And it was a tray he basically let them clear out. And that's what pushes him. So he's like, fine. And he goes on a revenge quest to find the kitty cat bracelet, which then kind of extends further from there with you know you have a 
a great cameo appearance by Christopher Lloyd as his father. Um, I want to say it's, is it common or most deaf plays his like, I can't remember which one it was now. Cause it's been, it's been, I saw it like a while ago, but it's just stuck out. The action stuck out with me plays like this guy he talks to on the radio and you find out like, basically it just, it devolves into this just all out brutal, you know, brutal movie, a uh, violent movie. But like, I remember like the kitty cat bracelet was the start of it. He tracks people down. He doesn't get it back. Um, once again, I want to say he decides not to kill the people because like he finds out they had a family, like, you know, they were just stealing to try to supply their family. So he lets them keep the money. But then when they don't have the bracelet, he's going back home and on that bus, like some gang members or punks decide they're basically going to rough up some people on the bus and he defends them on the bus and the bus fight sequence is awesome. But anyways, he proceeds to just annihilate these guys on the bus and kills them, which then puts him on the, I want to say it's like the Russian mafia or something like that. Uh, watch list kind of, so to speak. And it just becomes crazy, but it is so awesome. Once again, it's, I think what really sells the movie is Bob Odenkirk playing this like everyday Joe Schmo. He doesn't look like he'd be an action hero, but him, you know, like, but him doing the stuff he does is just so over the top. It's awesome. Where I mean, like, don't get me wrong, I love the John Wick movies. I I can't wait for the fourth one. But you see Ken Reeves, you're like, okay, that's an action star. You see Bob Odenkirk, he looks like just Joe Blow off the street. So watching him like dismantle people on the bus or in any of the other action sequences just stands out a little bit more comically that it makes it work. Um, and like I said, then you have like the, 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 you know, the, the co-stars of, of like, I said, I, I really liked the part that Christopher Lloyd plays. I mean, it's, it's not a big part, but his, when he, when he shows up the first time and then he, shows up a little later in the movie it is so worth the payoff of having old christopher lloyd um so yeah nobody um i don't know if that one's still on hbo max but that's how i originally saw it but then of course i liked it so much i bought it great movie really fun um i'd put it up there with bullet train as far as being a fun action movie it's not really thought provoking you can turn your brain off and watch it but well worth watching Okay, and now I'm going way back on this one because this is one I accidentally stumbled upon. Um, and maybe at some point in time I'll talk about this, uh, you know, another subject, but how I found this movie was I really, last, last around last Christmas when I got COVID, I dug deep into a lot of old Japanese cinema. So um, like Seven Samurai, Throne of Blood, Yojimbo and uh, Sanjuro. Is that right? So I think was this? yeah I think that's the name of the second one um it was the Ojimbo movies um Hidden Fortress a lot of the Kurosawa movies with um Mifune as the main character or well in them uh what was the other, uh oh god his version of King Lear not Throne of Blood um Ran anyways I fell down the rabbit hole of watching these Akira Kurosawa movies 
what the hell was I missing on those? But anyways, as I was digging through that, I got a suggestion from Amazon for this movie called Ira. I looked up how to pronounce this. Irizumi, I think is, I, I, and I'm probably massacring it because it is a Japanese word, but it's the Japanese word for tattoo. And it's, or inserting ink. But, um, I don't know how to describe this movie now. Um, it's from the 60s. Not a Kurosawa, but it was this other really thing. But like the more research you do, the more it sounded interesting because it's it's kind of ahead of its time in some of the storytelling. Um, it's about a you know a well-to-do woman, you know, very beautiful, very uh, like I said, very inf- from a family that's rich. But she's in love with like this this guy that's a, a pretty much like you know like I think he like worked for her father. Um, he, you know, he was like her, his apprentice or something like that, Uh, but she's in love with him and they decide they're going to run away. Something goes wrong and she gets like kidnapped. I think it's like somebody that was going to help them run away, uh, like basically sells her to somebody. Um, because like he saw her skin at one point in time and thought it was so beautiful. He was like this really weird looking guy that was like really into tattoos. So like he, you know, he really wanted to tattoo the skin. So he tattoos. I do not remember the, the term for what this tattoo is, but it's basically like a spider body with a geisha head and it's creepy looking. And they sell her, like she becomes a, essentially a prostitute. Um, and as this movie wears on, it's kind of a thing of, like she starts like giving into the uglier side of her craving, so to speak. So like, but then it's the, the question kind of, it does kind of raise the question, is it the tattoo doing it? Because like the artist believes this tattoo is so beautiful on such beautiful skin, that there's no way it couldn't, you know, it couldn't be a, a like a, a corrupting factor or whatever. But so, like, the, in the background, you always have this tattoo artist, like, off to the side, like, thinking about how how evil this could have this could turn out or whatever. But she starts giving, like, basically, she starts just becoming, like, she never, make it, I make it sound like she turns into a cannibal or anything, but no, but she, like, she starts murdering people and she starts really being corrupted by it. But you don't know if, like, it was always there or this tattoo is like a corrupting factor. Um, but it's a beautiful movie, like beautifully shot, well acted. I really need to look up the the director and see if he did anything else that would that would be worth watching, but like I said, for a movie I just randomly heard of at one point in time and then did research and then finally decided to buy a Criterion collection of just because it was the only way I could find it on Blu-ray. It was an amazing movie. It was really dark kind of thought provoking as far as like, you know, like this woman, like, is she only doing this because she's, you know, she's basically, you know, craving the freedom, but not allowed to have it. And so like she uses what freedom she does have to try to basically get even more freedom. Or is this tattoo like such a omen that it, Crupser, because like in that those times, a woman being tattooed was a very, very taboo thing. Like you know, it was basically believed that 
the only thing she could be was a prostitute or something along those lines. But man, it was it was an ugly movie and a beautiful movie at the same time. Um, so yeah, it if you don't mind subtitles, Irizumi, very fun. Or I shouldn't say fun, but very good, worth at least one watch. I've watched it once. I'm giving it time. I'll watch it again probably because I want to I want to fully digest that movie. I want to know like really watch it and really study what's going on in that movie and it hopefully it'll be like my my many watchings of John Carpenter's thing where every time I watch it I come away with something different. Maybe I have a different view on what the movie is saying. I don't know. Um so yeah, those are the movies, but then like I'll throw out some honorable mentions. Um you know, I remember Tony was Tony would told me about this movie, but then again, the thing is I'd already heard about it on a couple of podcasts I listened to called Barbarian from this year. That was a really good movie. Um I'm not gonna talk much about it because that movie is something you need to go in definitely best to go in blind on. But it's definitely one of those movies that's uh it plays with some of the the you know tropes i guess you could say of horror cinema um got some good actors you got justin long um not alex is it alexander skarsgård i can't remember the skarsgård that played uh Sarsgaard that played uh pennywise is in there and quick story is a girl uh shows up to an airbnb because she she you know she rented this Airbnb because she has to be there for a job interview somewhere else in the city, and there's somebody else already staying in this Airbnb, so it was double booked. And then it goes from there. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything much more than that because, like I said, going blind. But wow, it's it's been kind of polarizing with some of the stuff as well, just like malevolent. But I really liked it. Um. The stuff they do with Justin Long is really interesting in the long run. But yeah, good movie. A little bit out there at points, though. Um, God, I had some other ones that I turned on. Oh, I just watched Nope the other night. Um, Jordan Peele's latest one. I didn't put that one on here. I liked it, but I didn't put that one on there because that movie I definitely felt like I need to watch a couple more times to really figure out what I think of it fully. Um, with Get Out and Us and his, like, even though he didn't direct it, Candyman, I really felt like I knew what I was watching there. I knew that, you know, the, the subcon, the, the subtext was there with Nope. I'm watching the movie and I still don't know exactly what happened in that movie, but it's beautiful. It's a beautifully shot movie and I need to watch it a couple more times to really, like I said, really kind of digest what was going on in that movie and move forward from there. Um, what other movies did I watch? Uh, I just watched uh, Pearl, which is the sequel. It's the prequel to the movie X by Ty West, which I could easily put. Uh, I, in fact, I will quickly say X is on that list of great movies. I watched this year too. I want to say it came out early 2022, maybe late 2021. But that movie's good just from the sh- the sheer 
throwback feel of it. It definitely feels like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre era movie. Um, about some kids that go to make a porno, like they rent a, a bunkhouse on this farm from this old man so they can film a porno, like gorilla style. And like, you know, they plan on making it famous and what, whatnot. But then it quickly turns ugly. Um, well, Pearl is the prequel about the old lady that lived on the farm from the first one. And it kind of explains her story of her and her husband and how they came to be owning that farm. And it is... Pearl was was definitely interesting. Um, there's a choice at the very end of the movie where Mia Goth, the main character, who actually pl also played the main character in X, that was the interesting thing about... That was another interesting thing to do with X was... Mia Goth plays the main actress that's or the main character that's trying to become a porn star so she can be this huge star. But she also was in a shit ton of makeup playing the old lady. Well, now Mia Goth comes back and plays Pearl in 1918, where the new the ex was in like the 70s, I believe. Um, but anyway, she plays this girl in like 1918, and she works on a farm. She hates her life. She always wants to be this big. She wants to be this big star. But anyways, there's a point in the credits where she's just sitting there smiling and staring and she's like they hold this thing for probably about three or four minutes and you can see like so many emotions like she's trying to keep up the facade of this smile but you can see it breaking at points and it is haunting like i was laughing i was so uncomfortable watching this sequence but i couldn't turn it off um so yeah that's yeah, I think that's where I'm going to wrap it up. That's my my movies that I saw this year that really stood out to me. Like I said, there were some from actually from this year, and most of them are older movies that I just hadn't gotten around to watching till this year. So yeah, um, as always, if you have any questions or comments or suggestions, um, you can get a hold of me at uh, standstrongcast at gmail dot com. Um, so with that, I'm just going to say my thank yous to everyone. Uh, thank you to you if you're listening, to uh, Michelle and Tony for being big supporters. Uh, thank you to Spider for both my artwork for my podcast and the artwork on my body. Um, yeah, you know, so with that, I am going to, I guess it's uh, see you in two weeks and talk to you later. Bye-bye.